So did you know that there is hidden treasure in the US? In 2010, there was an antique dealer named Forrest Fenn, who uh, in a book that he published, uh, put clues to uh, a treasure that, that he hid. And, and it's estimated it's worth between one to, to four million dollars in that treasure. And, and since he first put out those clues, uh, it's estimated that tens of thousands of people have gone and searched for it. In 2016, a man moved from Atlanta to Colorado in order to devote himself to searching for it and went out one day and was never discovered again, the assumption being he probably ended up losing his life in search for this treasure. And people do those kinds of things as they're looking for material blessing. In the passage we're looking at this evening in Proverbs chapter 2, God tells us there's a sense something more valuable than buried treasure, and that we need to be seeking it, and it's wisdom's treasures. We need to be seeking and pursuing God and his wisdom in order to enjoy the great blessings of his wisdom. In Proverbs 2, uh, really the whole chapter is almost one long sentence. It's almost like a run-on sentence. Everything's very connected together. It starts with an, an if kind of a statement and then moves on to a then and, and fleshes out all the benefits that come if you follow the if. And so we, we begin with the if. What is the condition? What is the requirement for us? And the requirement is for us to devote ourselves to the pursuit of wisdom. Verse 1, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. Receiving, welcoming the words of the Father. Not just acknowledging that they exist, but, but actually viewing them as necessary. And in a sense, it's a reminder here to the Son that he does not yet know all that he should know. And as we've been working through Proverbs, that's something we need to constantly remind ourselves of as well. Yes, Proverbs was written to a young man, but all of us need to grow in wisdom. And none of us have ever gotten to the point in which we should not be receiving instruction and guidance from God and the teachers of his word. To receive these things and to treasure my commandments with you. And really, he's highlighting the value of them. It's as if you take them and you put them away, saving them for later. This is a time of year in which a lot of kids get a lot of candy. Uh, it's interesting to me as I've seen my two older sons grow up, and the third one's now in the mix in this. Uh, one of them, whenever he got something valuable, some kind of candy or something, would usually just kind of put it aside and save it and treasure it because he didn't want to, to use it and eat it yet. Now, the, the problem with candy is after a period of time, it's not really as good. It loses its value. Whereas the other, as soon as he got something, it was like, can I put it in my mouth right away? Right. And in a sense, both of those are how we respond to God's word. But here, in particular, we're called to, to treasure it, to store it up, to save it. And in part, because we may not necessarily need it all right now, but as we go through life, we're going to find we need this wisdom. We need these commands. So we need to store them up for the time in which we will be able to use these valuable things. 
In verse 2, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. If you do this, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart in the sense, bend yourself. Put your orientation so that you are actively and attentively seeking to obey what has been said. And you do this not just with your ear, but with your heart, with your whole person. And we might in verse 3 expect Solomon to say, if you do this, then this will happen. But he actually goes on to give some more ifs, some more descriptions of what it looks like for you to to incline your your ear to understanding. Verse 3, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding... Maybe you, you've had this experience where you were in the car with someone and, and you get out and shut the door and as soon as you shut the door, you realize, oh, I left my wallet in there or I left my phone in there and the car starts to pull away and what do you start doing? You start screaming, right? Hey, wait! And it might even seem strange if someone were all of a sudden to see you. You're, looking, you're standing outside the car and all of a sudden you're waving your arms and you're screaming because you're trying to get this person's attention. Or perhaps think of the, the, the situation in which you have uh, some famous celebrity. And there's a crowd around them. And, and this famous celebrity is walking through the crowd. And what, is, what are a lot of people doing? Screaming this person's name to try to get this person's attention. You're like, why would you cry out like that? Why would you scream like that? And it's just because you want something that you think is really valuable. You want that person to recognize you because you really think that would, that would be an important thing for you. You're very concerned about your wallet or your phone or whatever. And so you cry out for it and you lift your voice for it. And here, Solomon says, that's what you need to be thinking about when you think about wisdom. It matters so much to you that you, you would scream for it. You would cry out for it. You would lift your voice for this because of how valuable it is. And verse 4, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Just think about the, the gold rush that happened in the U.S. You had people traveling all the way across the country into territory that was largely unknown and undiscovered because they thought there's a possibility I could hit it rich. And, and it wasn't simple, it was hard work. And they looked, they worked very diligently and pursued it with great effort. And Solomon says, that's how you need to be thinking of how I want wisdom. I want to search for it. I want to seek it. Like I would hidden treasure or, or silver or gold, those kinds of things. If I have that type of mindset, if I have this wholehearted pursuit of wisdom, if I am seeking it with all of my being, then I get the benefits of wisdom. And that begins in verse 5. And I think that there are three broad rewards or benefits from wisdom. Uh, The first is found there in verse 5, and you can see then this will happen. If you go down in verse 9, I think there's a second one. Then this will happen. And then I think as well, beginning in verse 12, we we kind of see a third that that flows out of it. To deliver you from the way of evil. And then verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman. And so what are these rewards or benefits 
that we find when we wholeheartedly pursue wisdom. The first reward we find is that we come to truly know God. Verse 5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. That you will be able to, to figure out how to properly honor God and to know him. You will find what you've been looking for. You will discover the knowledge of God. And yet at first we might look at this and say, well, I thought we were searching for wisdom. For searching for wisdom, why is it that we find the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord? And the answer is given in verse 6, because the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The only way you can ever get wisdom is to actually seek God. True wisdom only comes from him. And I think this is an important reminder and something we see often in Scripture. Then the first four verses, essentially it's saying, you have to really work as hard as you can to get this. And verse 6 tells us, but ultimately you didn't get it because of you. The Lord gives wisdom. That, that he graciously offers you these things. Now he does so as you labor. He does so as you pursue it. But you are unable to ultimately even get it on your own. Your own efforts would fail unless the Lord in his grace gave you the wisdom that you need and you desire. Verse 7, what does God do? He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. It's a similar picture to what we were called to do at the very beginning, to treasure up the commands. Well, the Lord is storing up his sound wisdom for us, his sound judgment, good sense for us to be able to know what we're to do. He sets it up for us so that we can then use it as we face the difficult situations in life. And then at the end of verse 7 through verse 8, we find his work in caring and protecting us. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Images here, he's a shield, he's guarding, he's preserving us. And he does it specifically for the upright, those who are, are, are straight, those who walk in integrity, who, who, whose life is characterized by, by following God in all aspects of life. There's a wholehearted submission to him and his will. And then he preserves the way of his godly ones, those who, who are walking in obedience to God. And I think it's, it's a helpful reminder here that God cares and protects those who know him. And so as we seek wisdom, we find the benefits of knowing God, and part of that includes his care and protection for us. And the second reward is not only that we will know God, but we will live rightly in God's world. Verse 9, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. Righteousness, I think, here would, would point to a, a moral character, a, a life that, that matches up with God. And then I probably should say th these are all very similar ideas. But, but if there's any kind of nuance, this would be, I think, kind of the nuance here. There's a kind of moral character. Justice, I think, would probably point a little bit more to uh, right judgments, laws. Equity would be the idea of fairness in, in your dealings with other people. And then every good course is, is basically the right paths. A any other way you can think of what should I do, how should I walk, how should I live, 
All these things are the good courses that you will find, that you will know how you are to live in this world. And if I could just briefly maybe point to, to remind us of, of a couple of truths in light of, of, of this, that, that there is a strong connection, I think, then between knowing God and the fear of the Lord and caring about righteousness, justice, and equity, and every good course. That, that we aren't really those who know God unless our lives are matching up with his will. That we can't say, I fear the Lord and I care about him unless we are concerned about these things. And as a reminder, coming up on an election next week, I think as Christians, we should want to see the laws in our country and in our society be just laws. And there's a danger in a, in a world in which there are people who are arguing for a false idea of justice for us to then dismiss the idea of justice entirely. And as Christians, we should care about true justice. And we should want to see true justice uh, born out in our world. And then if maybe just one thought as well on the idea of equity. Maybe you say this. I remember often when I was growing up, if you say, that's not fair, what would the response be? Well, life's not fair. And is that true? Uh, yes, in, in many ways that's true. Life is not fair. And, and especially if I put it this way, that, that God in his providential outworking of his plans often makes things happen that to us don't seem fair. And that shouldn't concern us largely because honestly, if God were to treat us the way that we deserve to be treated, we'd be in big trouble. But that doesn't mean our response should be, it doesn't matter if I treat people fairly. Yes, life may not be fair, but God wants me to seek to be fair as I deal with those around me. He wants me to pursue that, and I should not simply dismiss it by saying, well, life's not fair. If I'm the one making this choice, I should care about it. If it's out of our hands, certainly recognize not everything will come down to us the way we'd want to see it happen. But if I have some control over it, I should want to to be equitable in my dealings with those that I interact with. And verse 10, again, the benefits. Why? Why will this happen? Why will I have righteousness and justice in every good course? Why will I be able to see these things? Because wisdom will enter into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That God's wisdom will, will go into the very core of our being and we will find the pleasure and joy that comes from knowing his will and following it. And that in a sense... The more that we are seeking wisdom and the more that we get wisdom, the more that we will want wisdom. Because we will see its value. We will see its joy. We will find the pleasure that comes from wisdom. In verse 11, that wisdom then will protect us. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. And it's interesting because in in the previous section, who's the one watching and guarding us? God is. And in this section, who's watching and guarding us? Discretion and understanding. And I think that we shouldn't separate those two things. That often, how is it that God cares and protects his people? He does so by telling us how to live rightly. That God's words are are the means by which he often protects us. How does he put his hand over us? It's by us obeying him. By us doing what is right. Obedience itself is a way for us to avoid danger and distress. And so, 
God protects us through the wisdom He offers us in His Word. And then in verses 12, I think we, we see a third kind of reward or benefit. And there's two parallel ideas right after each other. Both are, are, are describe, describing ways that we are delivered or protected from evil. The first is from an evil man, and the second is from an evil woman. Verse 12, to deliver us from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, crooked things. And, and in both, we, we have an immediate description of words, which is a reminder to us that it's important for us to be treasuring up the words of God and listening to his words rather than the words of evil people who are speaking perverse words, words that do not match up with God and his will. What are these people like? Well, they are those who leave the paths of uprightness. There may be an indication that these are people who at least at a time seem to be part of God's people, seem to be following his way, but they have now left it. They are no longer walking in this path. And they are instead walking in the ways of darkness. Why would they do this? Well, verse 14, because they actually delight in doing evil. And they rejoice in the perversity of evil. I mentioned this because we saw this in chapter 1 a few weeks ago. But it's so important for us to realize there are evil people who love evil. And in one sense, anyone who does evil is loving evil at some level. They are saying, it is better for me to do this evil than it is for me to follow God. And they are rejoicing in the things that they should be despising. And what do we need? Well, we need protection from them. We need deliverance from these kinds of people. So that we don't fall into their trap. We don't begin to walk with them down the, walk, the paths of darkness. And we don't find ourselves beginning to delight in evil and rejoicing and that which is wicked. Because their paths are crooked and they are devious in their ways. Their lifestyle, their paths and their ways are, 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 are marked by not following God, but instead following wickedness. And then in verse 16, we're delivered from the strange woman. And strange here isn't like weird. Strange is, is, could be the idea of a foreigner, but I think one of the best ways to, to think about it is someone who's out of bounds. And so for the young man, the person who's out of bounds here, this woman, is someone who's not his wife. It could be he's not married, and so any woman would not be his wife, and therefore he should not be pursuing her in this way. But it could be he is married, and there's someone else who's not his wife, and is calling out to her. And that, that person is an out-of-bounds woman. And what does this woman do? She's an adulteress who flatters with her words. And again, I, I mentioned there's this emphasis on words. It's not at this point in time. She is beautiful and alluring. Instead, she is flattering and deceptive with her speech. She's saying things perhaps like, well, your wife just doesn't understand you. Or saying things like, I mean, come on, it'll be fun. You deserve better. No one's going to be hurt. And trying to deceive you with these 
words and flatter you with these words, but really she doesn't care about you because she doesn't really care about anyone. Verse 17, she has left the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. She has no concern for long-standing commitments and relationships. If I could just say it frankly in this way, if she's willing to leave her husband for you, she's willing to leave you for someone else. And you don't want to pursue someone who isn't really going to be committed. And the reverse is true. If he's going to leave his wife for you, he will leave you for someone else. It doesn't matter what he says. He doesn't care about others because ultimately he does not care about God. If he does not care about God, he cannot care about you. And the result, verse 18, her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. If you walk with her, you will, you will experience the same fate as her. And that fate is death. Not life, but death. And so we need to be delivered from that fate. And how will we be delivered from that fate? By seeking God's wisdom. By pursuing a relationship with him. In verses 20 to 22, we have, in a sense, a summary. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. What is it that wisdom allows you to do? It allows you not just to avoid evil, but to do what is good. To walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of righteous, not the paths of life, and not the paths of death, not, not, not the paths of wickedness. Because verse 21, the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. And this is a good reminder for us that Proverbs is written to those who are under the Mosaic law. And in the Mosaic law, what was the promise? If you do what I say, you will live in this land. It will be yours. You will remain in it for a long time. That promise is not ours. But I think we can, by application, say it this way. If you seek God in his wisdom, if you're pursuing him with everything that is in you, and you are seeking to avoid the evils, and you're wanting to walk in the paths of righteousness, God will fulfill every good promise to you that he has given you in his word. And that is a promise for those who are upright and blameless, those who are walking on the straight path, those who are, are avoiding any kind of accusation even of sin. And the opposite is true for those who do not pursue God in his word. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. And again, that's specifically the, the context in the Mosaic law. But again, I think we could tease it out this way. If you ignore God's wisdom, if you do not wholeheartedly pursue it, you will experience all the curses and judgments he has said he will bring on those who do not walk with him. And so there's a call here for us to wholeheartedly seek God's wisdom so that we can enjoy the blessings that come from knowing God and following his word. And so what does that mean for you? Well, if again, if I could encourage us to, to think as parents and as grandparents, what should we be teaching our children? What should we be thinking about? And, and, and one of the truths I hope that we would take away from a passage like this 
is what's the best way to protect our children and our grandchildren? I think as a parent, inevitably, you want your child to be safe. As a grandparent, you want your grandchildren to be safe. How will they be safe? And the answer is, if God and his word are protecting them. Because the greatest dangers they face are not ultimately physical dangers. They're the dangers of evil men who will seek to pull them away from God. They're the dangers of evil women who will seek to pull them away from God. And so you want to help ground them in God and his wisdom. Secondly, a reminder for all of us that wisdom is not something that comes to us passively. At times we, we can almost kind of think that the older we are, the wiser we will be. But that's not how wisdom comes. I heard it said that it's not as though we can fall into wisdom. All of a sudden one day it's just like, oh, here's wisdom and now I'm wise. Because how does wisdom come? Wisdom comes with sustained effort. Because all truly valuable things come with sustained effort. And and one of our problems is we don't want sustained effort in anything in this world. We want wisdom, and we want instant wisdom. But wisdom is not something that comes to us with a half-hearted effort and a wish. Wisdom is something that we only get when we pursue it wholeheartedly and devote ourselves to that pursuit. Which means we want to prioritize God's wisdom above everything else in this world. It's interesting if if you think about what people in our world value. And in some ways, we could kind of look at TV shows and and see what do people think is really important. So you have a show like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And the answer is, I mean, all of us do, right? Want to be rich? Or a show like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And what's the point? Well, I want to find someone that, that just is like my perfect match and to fall in love together. Or a show like American Idol or The Voice and the idea is I want to become famous and well-known for people to recognize my ability and become a celebrity. And I haven't looked at the TV schedule recently, but I don't think there is a show Who Wants to Be Wise. But that should be the heart of every Christian. I want that. And I want that more than I want money. I want that more than I want fame. And I want that more than I want the pleasures of romantic and sexual love. Because God's wisdom is more valuable than any of those things. And so I am willing to prioritize that and pursue that. And I would demonstrate that by what I do in my life. And so how can we really pursue it, seek it, Search for it as for hidden treasure. And and one of the first ideas should be obvious. We need to know God's words, which means we need to be reading them. We need to be hearing them. We need to be listening to God's word as it's taught each week. But I think, if I can say this way, if we're going to store them up and we're going to treasure them, 
then we probably want to go beyond that and begin to think of ways, how can I make sure that they are sticking with me? And so that might mean memorizing. It might mean writing these things down. It might mean telling someone else these things because as I communicate it to someone else, it sticks with me more. So I'm finding ways in which I'm not just hearing God's word, but I am welcoming them and storing them up in my life. But perhaps most importantly, it means I'm beginning to try to, to live in obedience to them. That I don't allow God's word to, to stop here, but that my heart is inclined toward it. And I'm seeking to live it out in every aspect that I can. And so whenever I come to God's word, I'm not just saying, what does he mean? But I'm saying, what does this mean for me in my life? I'm saying, Lord, what must I do in light of what you have said in your word? Which I think is a good thing for us to ask this evening. Lord, if your wisdom is as valuable as you have said it is, and it is, then what do I need to be doing in order to better pursue your wisdom? What do I need to adjust in my schedule? How do I need to change my thinking so that I would value your wisdom more than hidden treasure? And finally, if you just kind of encourage us, I think this is a good passage that, that tells us that living for God and seeking his wisdom is not just beneficial for us after we die. It certainly is. But it's good for us right now. Because if we do it right now, we can find the knowledge of God and discern the fear of the Lord. And right now, we can begin to understand what, what it means to live righteously and justly and equitably and, and, and following good courses in this world. And as we do that right now, we will receive God's care and protection for us. And so right now, let's seek God's wisdom. Let's pray. Father, help us to, to have a proper perspective on what's truly valuable in this world. Help us to love your word and your wisdom, to treasure it, to seek it, to pursue it with all of our heart. And Lord, we pray that it would help us to better know you, to better live for you, to better avoid the allurements and temptations of sin in this world, but to in instead experience the incredible blessings of obedience to you. We pray these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.